1: Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals.
2: Hello, everybody. Want to start the show by thanking you for joining us this fine Saturday. You can always catch us here on the weekend, but just wanted to let you know that you can also join Josh every Monday as well. He and Bruce Hooley talk money Mondays, 1230 p.m. every week right here on 98.9 The Answer. So let's start off the show. Let's talk interest rates. And Josh, what are some ways higher interest rates can actually be good for us? Well,
3: let's give some background on interest rates. So historically speaking, we've been in an incredibly low interest rate environment. Last year, the year before, we consistently set records for really low interest rates. And I mean, you can think about you know, mortgage loans, 30-year mortgages at under 3%, which is unheard of. And we'll probably never see that again in our lifetime. But since that time, the Fed is tasked with raising interest rates to try and combat a lot of the inflationary pressure that we have. As we raise interest rates, it lowers demand and brings inflation back into check. And in March, the Fed raised its target Fed funds rate up a quarter, which is a pretty small interest rate adjustment. Then in May, they did another 50, and now just a a week or two ago, they uh, kicked them up by three quarters of a percent. So here we are, now quite higher interest rates. You're starting to see things at banks, which aren't, they're not definitely not in tandem, but you're starting to see... You know, uh, savings rates start to climb. You're starting to see annuity rates are starting to climb quite a bit, and that seems to be happening quicker than, than the rates at the bank. So that brings me to my first point, and that is what, it, what can high interest rates be good for? They can be good for savers. If you're a saver, if you have money in a bank, you're going to start to be rewarded a heck of a lot more than you have been in the past by higher interest rates via CDs, savings accounts, and or, you know, fixed rate guaranteed type annuity contracts were other places where you will benefit well you know if you think about the term i'm a cash buyer really hasn't meant much over the last 10 or 15 years because you know borrowing money for the most part was almost free well if you're a cash buyer that term might start to have some weight to it you might be able to negotiate with the cash buyer idea a little bit more than you have in the past and i'm not speaking purely of you know houses i'm talking about a lot of different things but you know, what could it do if since we brought up housing and, you know, this is a place where I can lean in your direction as well, Diane, you know, what is it going to do to housing? I think, you know, we certainly have a supply issue, but I don't necessarily think that, you know, raising interest rates for buying homes is a good thing. I mean, we'd love for mortgages to be at zero percent interest because we would have, you know, a tremendous amount of buyers. But, you know, as interest rates start to climb, will that have the ability to cool off the interest rate or the uh, the housing market a little bit? That's yet to be seen. My personal belief is it will start to slow and cool. And I think, you know, Diane, you were talking offline, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where you saw that housing purchases were actually going backwards rather than forwards for the first time in a really long time. That doesn't mean that that's a a trend that will continue. But, you know, rising interest rates does have an impact on anything that you borrow. So that could have a cooling effect on buying cars, buying houses, and bringing down that inflationary rate, which is good. It's going to reward savers, but if you're uh, in a variable interest rate loan position, I highly recommend you think about locking in because it could be uh, rough waters for you ahead.
2: Yeah, well, we're seeing in some parts of the country that the buyer demand has definitely gone down and then supply just getting dumped on the market. So um, definitely cooling, definitely ending the seller's market quicker than a lot of people expected, that's for sure.
3: Well, and I, I think it would be preposterous for us all to assume that, you know, uh, forever, for the next ten years you 're going to be able to list your house for three hundred thousand and sell it for three hundred and fifty thousand i mean that 's not a normal long term trend so yeah. this isn 't you know cause for panic or anything like that it's just ultimately it had to cool, and the rising interest rates i think are and supply are, are both doing that
2: right speaking of um interest rates and savings accounts, i mean, has anybody ever thought that that was a good idea for the banks and and so they may increase a little bit, but it 's still not really worth it. Is it to put your money into a savings account?
3: Well, everybody needs a little bit of money in quote unquote emergency fund, right? And then the question is, where should I put that money? Is it a savings account? Should I put that in, in a money market? And and all of these are good options. And there's certainly ones that are better than others. And we're trying to maximize yield as much as we can. But But I think you're absolutely right. I mean, should I have the lion's share of my money sitting earning 2%, 3%, even if they raised it right now to 5%, which everybody would you know go running to the bank if they offered 5% guaranteed savings rates the reality is with inflation being at the level where it is you're still going backwards so sure you're earning 5% on your money but if inflation's 8% you're going backwards in your purchasing power by 3% every single year so the question becomes how do i invest that money in the long run to get the best bang for my buck and the answer is a whole bunch of stuff which i'm sure we'll talk about the rest of the program today but The only way that you can guarantee long-term success is by investing in something, a company, a rental property, multiple companies via a mutual fund ETF or a portfolio of some kind. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it, but unless you own something that is generating a gain every single year that is in excess in the long run of inflation, you're going backwards. And there have been essentially zero times in our history where inflation has been less than what you can earn at the bank. So you're kind of treading water any way you slice it. And even though rates are going to start going up, you're still treading water until we get inflation under check.
2: You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. To schedule a meeting with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614 614-364- 364 7,300. Josh, we know gas is expensive. What are some ways people can save the summer while we're all getting gouged by gas companies at the pump?
3: Well, I mean, I think a lot of these are pretty obvious, but I think, you know, there's two ways you can look at your financial situation. Way number one would be how do I reduce what I spend, which is always something that you can control to some capacity. The other one would be, How do I increase how much I can make? And that latter one, you know, a lot of people have an impact on that, whether, you know, learning something beyond what they're currently doing in their occupation, or if you're in a sales position, selling more stuff. But for some people, you know, you can't really impact that too much. Shy of working more hours, it is what it is. So the first piece becomes the most important. How do I save money? And I think you're going to start to see gas prices impact things quite a bit. And we're already seeing it. I mean, if you've looked at, you know, plane tickets anytime recently, uh, they've shot through the roof. And when that happens, you know, do people travel as much? Well, in the short run, yes, but eventually that bite will start to take hold. So my, not hope, but my belief is that you will start to see things like vacation rentals. The prices maybe start to stagnate or even come down because people just simply aren't willing to pay the cost of getting to the vacation rental now people will start maybe going more local but I think you'll start to see that we haven't seen it hit the full chain yet and I believe we're going to begin to do that so will people travel yes or travel less I believe that'll start to happen and I'm hearing it from my clients hearing it as you know I gas goes up to seven bucks a gallon I'm not going to drive out to XYZ location this year because it's just preposterous how much I have to spend to get there. On top of that, as you know, this inflation continues and as we continue to take a pretty hard stance on our energy situation moving forward, you're starting to see significant increases in electricity. And while you can you know, decide whether or not you want to run your, how comfortable you want to be via air conditioning in the summer, people are not going to have a choice in the winter you got to keep your house at least warm enough not to bust the pipes so you know if you're in those states that get a cold winter i think you know we're going to start to see that as that comes around but you had asked me i kind of digress here you had asked me what are things that we can start doing well obviously you know be cognizant of where how you're getting to locations be cognizant of where you're buying your gas be cognizant if you're buying a new car of things like gas mileage consider Getting a tune-up in your car. If you have an old car, is there a way that I can improve my gas mileage uh, moving forward? There's a lot of little things that you can do that will make a reasonably significant difference in the long run. But at the end of the day, just drive less, which, fortunately, a lot of us can work from home, so we can drive less. What are you hearing about diesel? Well, you know, it's definitely going up. Uh, You know, Biden has said that he's going to do a kind of a holiday on the taxation of fuel prices, And while that's a Band-Aid, and that will help, uh, the question is, is it a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound, Uh, which ultimately does not work. So, you know, if diesel prices continue to climb, if gas prices in general continue to climb, that will continue to impact down the, I keep on saying down the chain, but let's think about it in some examples. So I have quite a few clients that run significant landscaping companies. up until recently most of them have not put a fuel surcharge on their projects so whether that's they cut your lawn or they're doing your landscaping or maybe you're getting a patio put in the backyard or whatever it might be their price is kind of yeah it's gotten more expensive because you know the stone you're putting in your backyard has gotten more expensive but it hasn't really gone down the chain of we're going to charge you more for just getting here but as fuel prices have gone up and most of those companies are using diesel trucks as those prices have gone up now, you know, we're going to have to just start slapping a higher rate on the project because we have to carry all of this equipment here. Well, now let's use that very small minute example and extrapolate that over. Let's say how your bananas get to your grocery store. Do you believe that in all the steps of that chain for them to get here? Because, you know, we're not growing a lot of bananas in Ohio. All the steps of that chain to get here are pineapples. You don't think that cost of fuel is going to start dramatically affecting the price of those goods and services, you better believe it is. So, you know, until we figure out an energy issue, we can raise interest rates and we can try and combat inflation. But there's a lot of factors tugging at that piece of the pie.
2: What about a shortage of diesel? Have you heard of anything about that? Well, you know, there's some big concerns about, you know,
3: this is the tussle, right? And I heard uh, Biden recently try and combat this. And I, I always tread very lightly in the political spectrum, but this was a conversation. It's, you know, the, the administration says we want to go green as quick as possible. And we want to eliminate as much as possible the use of fossil fuels. But at the same time we're allowing these companies to build infrastructure and drill. And the, you know, petroleum companies are saying, we're not going to go spend a bunch of money setting up new places to drill. We're not going to start, you know, spending billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to build infrastructure to drill a new well to provide more diesel. When you tell us in the next five or 10 years, you're going to shut this thing down anyway. Why would we the numbers don't work? And the current administration is saying, well, you know, boohoo, you need to do it anyway. And private entities are saying, well, boohoo, we're not going to. And that's why we're left in this impasse. And I don't know how it's going to end, but I think you know, they're going to have to have a realistic conversation about, uh, let's make some concessions on both sides so we don't you know, cut, our, cut off our nose to spite our
2: face. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh's he talks Retirement with Bruce Hooley Mondays at 12.30 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer.
4: More with Josh Pick when we come back. 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com.
1: Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, what are the most impactful items to prioritize when trying to calculate how much one will need for their retirement cash flow?
3: So this is a conversation, obviously, I have all the time. And, and usually this is the way that it goes. Clients will come in if they're analytical and they've put a lot of thought into what their retirement looks like, which I always am very happy about and encourage. But a lot of times they'll come in with this budget that is, I mean, fine tooth combed. You know, we pay $27 a month on this, and we spend $46 a month on this, and we spend $123 a month on this. And while I totally understand that your mortgage is a set amount, um, I think it would be unreasonable to say that we're going to spend $331 a month on going out to eat. I mean, that's a a pretty exact number. Uh, I don't know that that's the way it's going to play out. I think the easiest way, and if you go online, they'll give you all sorts of calculators on, you know, enter in, here's your your spreadsheet, et cetera. Let's just think about this in pretty simple terms. You have a checkbook, and every month you put money into that checking account. It usually comes via your W-2 or employment of some kind. And then at the end of the month, you have an amount left, or at least hopefully you have an amount left. And if that amount that is coming in is zeroing out at the end of the month and you feel like you're living pretty good, I would say that's a pretty good starting point of how much money you need. That's the way you've been living up to this point. I'm assuming retirement for you doesn't mean I'm going to entirely change my lifestyle and I want to live poor, or when I retire, I'm going to go from living like a pauper to living like a king. I'm guessing you want retirement to look pretty similar in your expenditures to the way that you've lived for the last 40 or 50 years. So that's a good starting point. And that number is different for everybody, Daniel. Let's assume that it's, for our example today, it's $5,000 a month. So I need $5,000 a month net. Now, you can go and try and calculate, well, you know, my taxes are going to change and I'm not contributing to my 401k anymore and blah, blah, blah. And you can try and come up with what that gross number is or thank God for computers and our software where I can tell you what that number is very, very quickly. So you tell me you want $5,000 a month net. You tell me the investments that you have. We'll show you how to invest them and then we'll deduce a plan to draw from those in the most efficient way to keep your taxes as low as possible to get to that $5,000 a month net. But just simply coming up with that number isn't the perfect answer because then there's some things that could change. For example, let's say that you're very philanthropic and you have been your entire life. However, you recognize that in order for you to retire, you cannot be as philanthropic as you have been in the past. You've been giving $1,000 a month to your church, and you're going to step that back to five hundred. Well, obviously, we need to take that into into account. Or let's say three or four years into your retirement, you're going to pay your house off. Well, obviously, we need to take that into account. Or you're going to need to buy a new car. Or you start throwing in these kind of anomaly-type situations. But the easiest way is create that baseline of what am I spending right now? What do I have in a resource to generate that? What are my income sources, Social Security, pension, et cetera, et cetera? plus my savings, 401k, and what's the most efficient way to generate the income that I'm looking for, and then what could change? Very, very easy way to do it, using software very, very quick, but try not to overcomplicate things too much. Other things I would take into account, however, you know, we got to make sure that we adjust what you're going to need in the long run for some sort of inflation rate, but that inflation rate or that diminishing of your purchasing power does not apply equally to everything. So, you know, some some things that I would make sure or caution you on is, okay. I know that my my mortgage is going to be the same because it's a fixed rate mortgage. I know that's going to be the same, but I believe my taxes are going to go up. Okay, so we'll apply a rate to that. I think that, you know, the cost of food is going to go up more than that. Okay, we can we can do that now. We're not going to do this with I think my gas bill is going to go up by four percent. I think my electric bill is going to go up by eight. We're not going to get that deep in the weeds. However, uh, what about health care? I think healthcare is going to go up at a much quicker clip than overall inflation. I would like to take that into account. These are kind of the stress test type components that we have to consistently put into a plan to make sure that we don't have anything to worry about. And where you see plans kind of go awry is, is not taking those kind of stress tests into account.
2: And you go through all of this when people come in and you take them through the Aptis Blueprint process. Absolutely. and And I think, you know, now more than
3: ever, or at least more than has been applicable for the last 10 or 15 years, it's so critical to have a plan. You know, there's so many people that we meet with on a daily basis or I have conversations with that are just truly panicking right now. There's enough to panic about, right? We listen to the news and we hear, uh, well, we have, you know, inflation and we have potentially stag inflation. And then if that doesn't happen, we could enter into hyperinflation and then we could have deflation and all these inflation things sound bad. And then we have a market that some people say is tremendously overvalued. And I heard this thing on the news the other day that said, well, you know, this is a this crazy word rebound. But it's it's just a bounce in the midst of a depression. And I hear all these negative things. And if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, and if you're not confident that you have turned over every stone, that you have a plan that will stand the test of time that if we look historically has weathered storms like this before if you don't truly believe that your retirement can be more than just cocktails on the beach it can be a lot of worry and we're seeing that right now because for the first time in let's call it 12 or 13 years our guts getting tested we really haven't had a significant downturn since o we we've had some blips in the radar for sure and i'm not ignoring those but we really haven't had that steady downturn is this the end of the world type scenario in a really long time? So as much as we've had some rebounds, it does not mean that that whipsawing effect of going back and forth and then it going up is necessarily a good thing. If you look historically, 2008, 2009, some of the biggest rallies in history were during the time period where it was still going down. So you better have a darn good plan. And you would ask me, you know, what's our planning process? And our planning process is very comprehensive. It's a four-step process for meeting process. In meeting number one, we are simply trying to learn as much as we can about you. And learning about you means what does retirement look like for you? The question of how much do you need to retire? What are the anomaly type scenarios that uh, might affect your situation that are different than others? What have you been doing up to this point in the way of savings? What does everything that you that you have look like? How are you invested? Do you have a pension? Are you entitled to Social Security or do you have maybe a, you know, a pension that precludes you from getting Social Security, et cetera, et cetera. We're just information gathering. In meeting number two, we call it our analysis meeting. We will analyze all the information that you provided us and simply show you a picture, a snapshot of if you keep doing what you're doing, this is your chances of success. And what are some issues that might get in the way? What are some speed bumps on that roadmap that could derail your, your progress? And then in meeting number three, we call it our blueprint meeting. Uh, We will show you a blueprint of exactly the changes that should be made that will ensure as much as possible that your arrow hits the target. And then not until meeting number four. So if you're waiting through this whole process for the the shoe to drop and us to try and sell you something, um, it just doesn't happen. In meeting number four, we mutually decide, is this something that makes sense for both parties? In other words, are we the right fit for you? Is this going to be a mutually beneficial process? Because, you know, a financial planning relationship is a very long-term run. Uh, We're going to be here for the next 20 or 30 years of your retirement. We want to make sure that it's a good fit going in. And then we decide, is is this where we want to go?
2: To schedule a meeting with Josh to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Zero zero, and this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show. Josh, so let's say someone's not using you uh, or your services. What are some warning signs that a person has miscalculated and might actually run out of money in retirement?
3: I think I kind of touched on some of them, but what I see is people being well. There's a lot of them, but let's go with incredibly overly optimistic about their assumptions. Meaning, when you do retirement planning, you have to create assumptions, right? If we're going to plan for inflation. We have to pick what we believe that inflationary number is going to be. And I've seen a lot of people pick numbers like, well, it's only been 1.5% over the last 10 years, so I'm going to go with one5 Well, clearly that got derailed right out of the gate, because here we are at you know, 40-year record high inflation rates, and we have been for the last going on two years. So that's probably a little uh, overly optimistic. The other one would be, well, you know, over the last five or 10 years, I've averaged you know, 20% a year in the market because it's been the best bull run in the history of the stock market. So there's no reason to assume or to conclude that I can't assume that it's going to continue to do that. So my assumption for my growth rate is 15% for the next 30 years, which has not been the historical growth rate of the stock market over any time period. So that's a little overly optimistic. If you just look at those two numbers, I think I'm going to need less money than I'm going to need. And I think I'm going to return, you know, two times higher rate of return than I'm probably going to return. Well, that, that's a problem. That's being a little overly optimistic. But I see that a lot. You saw it back in the 80s when interest rates were really high in things like life insurance and annuity contracts and bond contracts, et cetera. And you're seeing it now with the stock market and inflation. The other one I think I touched on a little bit earlier, and that's just being a little too tight, a little too restrictive on budget. If you can imagine, you know, you, you, you read all, you looked at all the commercials about, you know, the people walking on the beach, uh, perfectly dressed, enjoying that, uh, you know, glass of champagne every day as they stare out at the sunrise and you get there and go, well, we can't do that because we can't afford champagne because I didn't calculate in the extra 18 bucks. You can get just a little bit too tight on your budget assumptions. Now, that does not mean I understand that not everybody is wealthy beyond their imagination. And I understand that certain people are at a point in their career where physically they don't want to do their job anymore. It's not good for their health and they need to walk away from that occupation. And sure, they might not have saved as much as they wish they would have, but this is not a matter of choice anymore. This is a matter of necessity. And we have to fine-tooth comb budget. I totally understand that. But in general, if you have the option of, I'm planning for my budget, I don't know exactly when I'm going to retire, I wouldn't plan for that budget so tight that, you know, being off by $5 a month can derail your plan. I I just wouldn't do that. And I see people do that quite a bit. And then the other one would be ignoring some of what I would call risk factors or ignoring some of the things that could sneak up on you that you're just willfully ignoring. For example, you have a lot of debt and that debt is a variable interest rate. Well, we're in a rising interest rate environment and you base your retirement on your ability to pay your debt position at a 4.5% interest rate on a loan that can continue to climb, that means that if interest went up to 9%, your payment might double. So if you've kind of been overly optimistic in your assumptions, and then you've been way too tight in your budget, and then you have one of your expenses that's significant that doubles, uh, poof. That is a recipe for disaster. So I think you know, it doesn't mean you should be pessimistic certainly should be optimistic, but you should stress test your situation. You should take into account those risk factors. You should use realistic assumptions moving forward. And then you should pad your budget a little bit and make sure that you have some, up. Oh, didn't see that one coming built in. These are all obvious things that most people would pay attention to when they're planning for any other normal budgeting. However, when we really want to get to that light at the end of the tunnel, we can kind of have a little bit of bias, right? We have a little bit of conclusion bias, a little self-fulfilling prophecy. I want to retire. I will figure out a way to make this spreadsheet look shiny and rosy. Part of my job is bringing that back. Part of my job is telling people that they can retire when they don't think they can. The other part of the job is telling people uh, this is just a little bit too tight. Uh, we need to do a few things to to make sure that we don't get derailed on this on this trip. So uh, my job is simply to tell you the truth.
2: 614 364 7300. That is 614 364 7300. More with Josh Pick when we come back.
1: We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 989 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Zero zero, Josh. We talk a lot about having a plan for retirement, but how much benefit is there to having contingencies like a plan a and, a and a plan B and so on?
3: Wow, Diane. Your questions today. I feel like we're 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 all in the negative. You know, how is interest rates going to cripple your ability to retire? And and uh, how do how do I save money on gas? And now, how important is it to have a plan B? Well, things so are grim. Promise, things are grim. Yeah, things are. it, it does kind of set the tone for what's happening in the economy right now people are very concerned and and understandably so I get it but let me say that having a plan A and a plan B in retirement planning is not hinged on just what's happening today you should have one all the time and you should have one all the time because statistically speaking many of us a large percentage of us will be forced into retirement for reasons that there's no way we could have predicted for example taking care of a loved one because of a health issue. A significant percentage of people will be forced into that position. Your own health, forcing you to retire soon. Many people will be forced in that position. A change in the economy where there's a layoff, you'll be forced into that position. So having contingency plans are critical. What do those look like? Well, it does not mean that you run around life going, well, you know, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I knew it. And uh, it, it's all awful. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, here's if everything goes smooth, here's my retirement plan. What if it doesn't go smooth? And this is for all the people who are listening that go, my retirement plan is I'm just going to work for the rest of my life. I'm never going to save a nickel because I like my job, I'm going to work for the rest of my life, and I don't know why all you idiots are saving money. And there's a, there's a contingency of people out there like that, and that's, that's fine. And you do you, and that's okay. But there's some problems associated with that and it's not just that all of the other folks that are you know obsessively saving are necessarily right either you save for contingencies what if your health affects your ability to earn a living well you can solve that in a myriad of ways maybe it's just having disability insurance maybe it's having extra health insurance maybe you know it's not always just investing but you have to have a plan for some of these things what if Uh, you know, contingency plan A or B, what if you're married and now you're into retirement and you go, man, we're good. We're good. We're living great. But one of the pensions that you're collecting and living great off of, which is a huge lion's share amount of the money you're receiving, is a single life pension. So if something happens to that person, they die, the surviving spouse gets nothing. Well, there better be a plan B in place for said scenario unless you just don't care about your spouse. And when you're gone, you go, well, they can figure it out. Right. So you have to have these kind of if thens. And um, sometimes that if then is, you know, I'm in a job where I make a lot of money, but it's also incredibly volatile and I might get laid off. Um, You know, our our positions are very transitory. And you'll find that as you start to climb to the top in corporate America, for example, um, a lot of times if there's a new CEO and you're a C-suite executive, they don't keep all the C-suite. So while you're making a lot of money, you might get bumped from that occupation just because of, you know, new guard came in, wiped the old guard, brought in, their, brought in their old troops, right? So you might want to have a plan in place for something like that. It's not specifically for people who are maybe, you know, lower income and they have to have contingencies to make sure that they can afford their rent or whatever. It's for everybody. You want to make sure that you have thought about the what-ifs and then came up with a plan for them. It's that simple. It's not, uh, not rocket science. It's not incredibly complicated, but sometimes the huge differentiation is having somebody who's seen a lot because they've done retirement planning for a really long time who can ask the right questions, and that's our job.
2: And thinking of alternatives for, for people that they may have not even considered.
3: Of course. Sometimes the solution is incredibly inexpensive and incredibly easy to accomplish. It just needs to be done.
2: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That number again is 614-364-7300. So sticking with the topic of contingencies and backup planning, what is the worst case scenario for folks approaching their golden years?
3: Well, one could argue that our current scenario certainly looks like it could line up for one. You know, we really haven't seen, you know, a scenario like we're in right now since the late 60s, early 70s. And that scenario is you have significant inflation while you have rising interest rates to try and combat it. You have a lagging economy. Um, You know, we're, we're arguably in stagflation right now, which simply means that we're in a position where the GDP growth of the country is declining while at the same time interest rates are climbing to thwart off inflation. Um, you know, usually there's also a element of employment in there. But, you know, why is that a problem? Well, if you think about it, if I'm looking into my retirement, and I can't reasonably predict how much inflation is going to be moving forward, or it's going to be significantly high, and my money's going to erode by 8% because of inflation, and I can only earn 2 or 3% at the bank, and then the volatility in the stock market is significantly high, and the economy looks like it's lagging, I can't necessarily make up for the inflation by putting it just, you know, kind of carte blanche into the stock market. That's a recipe that's very difficult to navigate. It's not impossible to navigate, but it's a heck of a lot more difficult than let's say the last 10 or 12 years. So, you know, there's been a lot of conversation, for example, is the 4% rule still adequate? And the 4% rule is the concept that if you simply take the amount of money that you have in a giant pot of money, your 401k, for example, you got $500,000 in your 401k, how much can you safely withdraw from that for the rest of your life without running out of money? The answer was 4%. It's been a long time-tested rule. So you could pull 20 grand a year out of your $500,000 pot and adjust it for inflation. That will last you for the rest of your life, assuming that you invest it in what would be deemed kind of a moderate portfolio. So think of you know, the 60-40 stocks, the bonds are 50-50. But when you have a scenario with these rising interest rates, which is a negative environment for bonds, and you have a inflation where it is, there's some questions, well, will that last? Will that hold up? Will the 4% rule hold up? My contention is, if managed appropriately, it can. However, you can't just simply go out and keep on trying to ride the, you know, the cryptocurrency slash, I saw it on Reddit, train to get there. Those are great gambling methods that worked a lot for people. But if you put all your money in crypto, you've seen what's happened over the last, you know, six, 12 months. So, you know, you have to have your ducks in a row today to be able to make it work. And you better know history and you better know your options.
2: What about people that were going to retire this year when the stock market is so volatile? Do you do you say, can you hold it off? Or if they're Because they talk to you when they're planning for a retirement date.
3: It's a great question and a question that I've been posed many, many times over the last six months, particularly as the stock market started pulling back hard. The question was, you know, I had intended on retiring at the end of this year, but, you know, my stock market investments are down, you know, double digits uh, in many cases. What should I do? You know, the S&P 500 is down way off the mark. Should I just hold on and work for another year and wait for this to come back? And my answer is always the same. Now, the best retirement plan, the one that will make sure you never run out of money, is to never retire. Just never retire and you'll never have to worry about any of this. But that is not retirement planning. What we did when we got together a long time ago and we went over this is we planned for all of this type of stuff to happen. Now, we knew that from the time that we talked until you ended up you know, taking the one-way train north up to uh, you know, heaven when none of us gets out of here alive, We knew that you'd encounter three, maybe even four downturns like this. It just so happens that it occurred at the time where you actually had to pull the ripcord. So it's up to you. You can continue to work for sure, but let's show you all the reasons why you can absolutely still retire just fine based upon the plan that we had in place. Now, for others, unfortunately, Diane, that have not done the planning appropriately up to this point, in many instances, my answer is, unfortunately, Yes, you were too aggressive. Yes, you didn't have money set aside for a time like this. Yes, you're going to have to maybe put in an extra year. But if planning was done appropriately, 99% of the time, you're still good to go.
2: To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, the Aptus office number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can always join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can hear a recording of this show at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. And we'll have more with Josh Pick when we come back.
1: Call our office to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint today at 614-364-7300. There's no cost or obligation, but space fills fast. Give us a call at 614-364-7300.
4: To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614 364 or visit aptiswealth.com.
1: Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, we were talking a lot about this before the break. Um, Telltale signs that someone simply can't afford to retire.
3: Well, I saw a study recently, and it said that nearly half, I think it was over half of Americans, Believe that they do not have enough money, or income, to save for retirement, and they will never be able to retire.
2: I I must be Um, in that study.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully not. But it does point to an issue, and you know, the, the the glaring example would be your spending exceeds your income. If you're spending more than you're making. I don't think you're going to be able to retire anytime soon because you're not saving anything and you can't even live on what you're making currently. That's that's kind of a telltale sign, right? Um, if you have really high debt, and I, you, know, you can blame people for this. You can blame um, just our economy and the way that it's worked and our belief that debt is a good thing. And I'm not saying that appropriately used debt is a bad thing. But if you have $50,000 on your credit card and... Um, you're still, you know, renting and you have a bunch of other unsecured debt. That's a challenge when you reach retirement, um, having as little debt as possible or debt that's productive. Meaning if you have 15 rental properties that are all generating income net of their debt positions via mortgages, I'm not saying that's a bad thing by any means, but I'm talking about specifically just significant amounts of debt. That's a problem for a lot of reasons. It's even a problem for people who who have a lot of money because when you're trying to fulfill that debt position or you're trying to pay for that debt position, depending upon how that debt is held, you might have to take significant amounts of money out of a tax-disadvantageous position, meaning I have to take money out of a 401k, pay taxes on it to pay off this debt position. And if that is pushing you into higher and higher tax brackets, your concept of, well, you know, it's only a 5% debt position hold. I'm only paying 5% on the debt, but it's bumping you up 10% higher in taxes. Well, is that really a fair trade? So having really exorbitant debt is kind of a, it's not a, a telltale sign that you can't afford to retire, but it's immediately a red flag that I would want to dive into and take a look at. The other one would be, I have no emergency fund whatsoever. So I have a huge stock position i have a huge you know company position i have whatever it is i have a significant amount of assets but if there was ever a significant downturn in the market or if there was ever you know a lag in the economy where my company was not producing for me i don't have any freed up cash to weather any storm whatsoever that would be kind of a a red flag as well that i would want to take a look at lacking you know we talked about this earlier lacking adequate insurance So you don't have your basis covered, meaning you don't have health insurance or at least not good health insurance. Uh, You don't have any life insurance for the death of a spouse. And all of these things would be important in your scenario, meaning you don't have the financial wherewithal to just carte blanche, pay for as much health care as you need out of your pocket. And if something happened to you, uh, the surviving spouse would be in a difficult spot because of the way the income is organized. Those would be red flags. And then the other one would be if I see a history of someone being incapable of following a budget. And when doing their retirement planning, they have to be tight about a budget to make it work. That's a huge red flag. In other words, somebody comes in and says, uh, well, you know, I only need $4,000 a month to retire. I'm good. And I say, well, how much are you making now? Well, you know, making about 20,000 a month. Uh, okay. So how much do you have left over at the end of each month? Ah, about 500 bucks. Well, where's the rest of it going? Uh, you know, you're going to automatic. you just, somehow going to be able to change your lifestyle from 20 to 4 overnight that's a red flag and then the last one without you know just kind of going through a million of them would be do you have a plan for what it is you're going to do when you retire so this is non-monetary this is not financial planning 101 this is just you've been putting in 8 10 12 hour days sometimes at work for the last 20 30 40 years when that comes to a close How are you going to fill your 8, 10, 12 hours a day? Do you have a plan, a social plan, if you want to call it that? Do you have a plan of who are you going to hang out with? What are you going to do? How are you going to stay healthy? Because I assure you that staying in your house and just watching TV every day from sunup to sundown has not proven to be a good plan for longevity. And there's a myriad of studies that you can reference that will show that. So what is your social plan? If you don't have one, I don't. I think these are all red flags that you should take a look at.
2: And these are things that you ask people when you go through the Aptis Blueprint process.
3: Of course. I mean, the, the process itself, just by the, the nature of it, will bring a lot of these questions up. Uh, the one that, you know, is more of a question than me giving advice is just, do you have a plan for what you're going to do when you retire? Um, you know, I just want to, sometimes the questions are just to cause somebody to Start questioning themselves, right? So the, the financial piece of it, well, that's pretty cut and dry, black and white. That's easy to solve. The what are you going to do piece, well, that's more open for a conversation. Maybe not in the general scope of my job, but something that I would feel that I was doing somebody a disservice by not at least bringing up.
2: I'm interested in the uh, watching too much TV because I just dream about the day that I can do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like, you know, let me give an example. So I have a lot of clients that say, when I retire, I want to play golf every day. And while I have several clients that do that and they love it and they're living the dream and that's fantastic, what I've found with a lot of other people is they say they want to do whatever that activity is. I'm just using golf as an example, but I'm going to play it every day. Well, when you play golf every single day, some people like me would turn that into a job and it wouldn't be fun anymore. Um, Golf is a lot of fun for me when I play it, you know, once a month, once a week, maybe a couple times a week. It wouldn't be fun for me if I played 18 holes every single day because I would certainly turn that into an occupation and it would be miserable. So, you know, that that same concept applies to watching TV. You know, watching TV is fun because you don't have enough time to do it all the time now. But if you had an infinite amount of time to do it, it would get old pretty quick for most, not for all, but for most. So just make sure you know who you are and you have a plan that will accommodate for that accordingly.
2: And I always like to add when there's obviously couples that they have the conversation. Um, how often do you find that they're not on the same page when it comes to retirement?
3: Uh, well, fortunately for the most part, people are on the same page, but there's certainly times where my job is financial planner slash question asker slash, you know, mediator between spouses. Um, and you know, I've had that conversation enough times that I I have some pretty good uh, methods on how to bring people to a common ground. Uh, The biggest one is not necessarily what people want to do in retirement. It's their view of money in general. So you'll have one spouse that believes that, you know, the money will never run out no matter what they do. And they have, you know, to them, $100,000 might as well be $100 million. And you have to kind of bring that person back into reality that you can't spend unconsciously or the money will, in fact, run out. And then the other spouses, if they had $100 million, they wouldn't want to spend $1,000 a month because they're convinced that it's going to run out. And you need to be able to show them that it's okay. You can go spend some money. So a lot of the, the, the navigating that not on the same page piece between spouses is simply education and showing the facts of the situation because there's no arguing with the facts of the situation and then diving back into, you know, how does this make you guys feel? And what are your thoughts? And and then you can kind of bring people on the same page.
2: Do you find that people change once they retire? Like, let's say someone, you know, turns miserly because they're so afraid that they're going to run out of money? Or are they pretty much the same before?
3: No, that's almost unilateral. So while I said that there's one group that says that they'll never run out of money, and there's one group that thinks they're always going to run out of money. If one's going to get more extreme, it's usually the person who thinks that they're always going to run out of money that person will usually get more extreme and turn into a miser. Now, that, that's rare. So I don't want you to think that, you know, I either fit into one of these two categories. No, you're probably shades of gray, just like politics. It's probably rare that everybody listening is either on one side of the house or the other. They probably have some, some crossover. Well, similarly here, as we believe about money, there's, there's probably most people in the middle. However, in those other scenarios, it does take some, some coaxing. It does take sometimes more appointments than just the four in the beginning. Uh, but that's my job. My job is to get people on the same page. My job is to give them an understanding about what retirement looks like financially. It's my job to help them ask the difficult questions about what am I overlooking in retirement? How do I make sure that I enjoy it the most? And then how do I make sure I don't run out of money and I can still do the things that I want to do? So this is all part of the process, um, and we take that very seriously to make sure that we spend the time required to be able to solve those problems for everybody, and everybody has a different learning curve. So sometimes... You know, it, it might be five or six appointments and sometimes it's three, uh, but that's when we take you on as a client, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we teach you in your learning style.
2: And no random phone calls from people saying, you've got to tell my partner that they can <clears throat> spend this.
3: <laughs> I hope not, but I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say I've got a couple.
2: Okay. All right. This is the Aptos Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. There was a, an article in U.S. News and World Report that talked about the impact of climate change on retirement planning. Is that something that is a concern for those in or, or, or nearing retirement? Well, I don't know that, you know, climate change specifically
3: is something that we have to write down as, you know, a possible impact to retirement planning. However, however, we cannot ignore the impact that we've already seen, right? I mean, we've, we've made a decision, uh, at least it appears at the, uh, you know, Washington level that we want to be more green. And part of that green is electric cars, part of that green is less drilling, part of that green is trying to get off of Uh, fossil fuels as quick as possible. Um, Part of that is, you know, going to solar and wind and all these different things. And what has that created, in the short run at least? Well, I think for the most part we can agree that uh, electric cars in general at this point are more expensive than gas cars. Now that could flip-flop down the line, but in general right now, the equivalent is more expensive. I'm certainly not a scientist. I should say that right out of the gate, that I don't, you know, I don't begin to try and explain you know, what the long-term impact of climate change is, and that we're doing anything wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just addressing uh, the impact that it could have. Secondly, we've already seen the increase in the price of gas. If you tell oil companies that oil is not going to be as necessary in the long run, chances are they're not going to do as much exploration, and that's going to raise the cost of oil. And we can blame that on, you know, the Ukraine. We can blame it on a whole lot of things, but ultimately it's it's a myriad of factors, and one of those factors is uh, we're trying to get off of petroleum as quick as possible, and there's not as much um, you know, perceivable demand for it in the long run, so why would I invest in a bunch of infrastructure to drill more? But there's other things that are also associated with it. If you think about if we decided, and we're seeing this a little bit in California, if we decided that every fire truck in Ohio has to qualify for new emission standards or has to qualify as an electric uh, vehicle or wh- whatever it might be, that means that Every single fire department has to buy a new truck. And if the old trucks aren't worth anything to anybody because they can't use them anymore because they don't meet the standards anywhere, well, then that's a lot of money that will end up hitting your local tax rate, right? Or your state tax rate. It's just going to happen. So, you know, as we look at what's the impact going to be, it could certainly make things more expensive. In that more expensive could be the things you buy, could be taxes, could be the cost of electricity, could be a cost of a lot of stuff. It could be an increase in the inflation of all those items. So while we're trying to combat inflation, we're kind of, you know, pulling one uh, lever and then pushing another one up and it's kind of offsetting. So, you know, what impact it's going to have financially, we have yet to see. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening, you know, myself included, have listened to you know, podcasts or reports or read reports from people that are written that are a heck of a lot smarter than, than I am on this issue. And you can certainly see both sides. You can see that, uh, you know, green energy is going to be incredibly important in the long run for the survivability that of the of the nation. And then you can see the other side where they say, well, you know, we're not having nearly as significant impact as we, as people say we are, and we're taking this way too seriously. And then in the middle, you have kind of the the pragmatic Uh, financial folks who are saying, okay, let's say that the one side is right and we need to make a lot of adjustments. But how do we get there realistically without collapsing the financial system? And most of those people say that our goal is a little bit too lofty and that it's going to have some significant financial side effects. And maybe that's what we're already seeing. But I don't know if I'm answering your question, Diane, other than uh, it's going to have an impact, but I don't know that we can create a line item for you know, impact of climate change and how it's going to affect the retirement portfolio. I think we just need to use that information as part of our stress testing as we look at whether or not your plan is feasible in the long run.
2: Well, that's it for this week. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Thanks everyone for joining us. We will talk to you the same time next week.
1: You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Or online at aptuswealth.com. That's aptuswealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of
0: the issuing company